Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to look at one verse together this morning, and uh, I want to be really clear, we're going to have just a really ambitious goal for our time. In fact, way too ambitious of a goal. And so, but I just want to lay it out there on the front end so you know um, what it is that we're going to try to do together, and then we can trust God to kind of help us in that process as well. So here's our goal over the next 30 minutes or so. Um, I'm praying that the Spirit of God will help you discover why it is that you've been put on planet Earth. Like, that's the goal. Like, like I, I'm hoping in the next 30 minutes that the Spirit of God will give you some tools, will give you some handles, will give you some things to begin thinking, okay, man, maybe, maybe this is what it is that I've been put on earth for because there's this, this passion in me, there's this longing in me. I, I don't just want to be a, a, a group of people that sit in seats and sing songs and pray prayers and then go about work and life and exist and hope God does something. I go, man, I want to be people who are fully awake in regards to what it is that God has put you on earth for. And I don't believe that's something that you'll necessarily discover in the next 30 minutes, but I'm praying that together we'll get some handles that will help us kind of figure out how to lean into that. So that will be our ambitious goal together. I remember uh, several years ago, my wife Sydney and I were getting ready uh, to take a beach vacation. It's the same vacation we take every year at Memorial Day. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina. My parents still live there. And so every year on Memorial Day to kind of inaugurate the summer season, uh, we'll take a road trip, we'll go to Charleston, and I will see my parents and we'll spend seven or eight days just eating seafood and getting terminally sunburned and going to the beach, just doing all the things that make a good va- beach vacation a good beach vacation. And so several years ago, we were getting ready to take this trip and we had, we had both just gotten off of work. Uh, we, were, we were done with work for the, the day, done with work for the week. And so we go over to Baja Burrito because what better way to begin vacation, getting a beach body ready than just gorging on burritos. And so we, we go to Baja Burrito and we're sitting there eating and we're talking about, okay, what do we need to do to be, to be ready uh, to leave in the morning? Because our plan was to leave for vacation the next day. And so we're sitting there eating Baja. And as we're talking about vacation, we're just getting like more excited. You know, just, just the joy is washing over us. And it's like, why in the world should we wait until tomorrow to leave? Like, let's just leave today. Let's leave tonight. And so at the time, we only had two kids. Now we have three sons. But at the time, we just had two. And so we, we cut our dinner short. We rushed home and we started packing up. And we thought, we'll just drive all night. Like, that, that'll be the plan. We did it in college. We can do it now. Like, we still we still have the fire in us, you know, so we go home and we begin to pack. And I don't know if you've ever packed for vacation. Uh, it's totally different when you start packing for vacation with little people, uh, because all of a sudden, like you take more stuff than you can imagine. So literally three hours later, we're packing up our whole house for our two little kids. We, we, we get in the car about nine o'clock and begin heading on this vacation to the beach. And the first three hours, we are road trip strong. I mean, we are laughing, we're solving life's problems, we're singing you know, far more loudly than we need to, we're eating only the junk food that you eat on a road trip, you know, the stuff you only buy at gas stations when you're traveling, we're just crushing it, and then 12 o'clock hits. And I don't know what it was, but it was like we just hit the wall of exhaustion. Have you ever been there before where you're driving and all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're in that in-between place, you're too poor to afford a hotel, you know, you're too cowardly to sleep on the side of the road by yourself. <laughs> And so you're like, I'll just risk my life. I'll push through it. And that's the, that's the place we were. You know, it was like midnight. We thought, oh, we're just going to keep pushing through. And so my wife, she's smarter than me. She came up with a plan. She said, here's the plan. We're both exhausted. I'll sleep. You drive. I'm like, okay. That doesn't sound very fair. She said, I'll sleep. And then you drive. And then when you get too tired, you just wake me up. And so we're, we're driving. We've got about six or seven hours left on the trip. She leans back to sleep, the seat. She goes to sleep. The boys are in the back. They're sound asleep. 
And about 10 minutes into my journey alone now, I'm fighting exhaustion and the rain just starts coming. It's pouring rain. So I've got the music up and it's raining and I'm just trying to stay awake. My singular goal for the trip was don't kill our family. Like, <laughs> don't drive off the side of the mountain. Like, that's a simple goal. Just keep the tires on the road. About three hours later, by the grace of God, I was still alive and so was my family. We were on the road and Sydney wakes up and she sits up in her chair and she's looking around. She's like, hey, where are we? And I'm, I'm telling her where we're at. And she said, doesn't look like that's where we're at. And I'm like, what's wrong with you, woman? You're still asleep. Lay back down. You know, let me, let me do the driving. And, and so we have this moment of intense fellowship or someone called a fight. And so, you know, I'm like, I, I know where we're at. I know what's going on. And so she starts playing on her phone. And a, a few minutes go by and I just hear her go, oh no, what have you done? <laughs> and that's never good. I don't know if you're married, but that's not good when your wife says that. And, and uh, she shows me the map that she has put up on her phone. She says, look at where we're at. And there's this little blue dot that was just blinking north. And we weren't supposed to be going north. I'm like, what's wrong with your phone? Like your, 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 your phone's jacked up. And she's showing me the phone. And I realized that about 15 minutes after she had gone to sleep, in the midst of my grogginess, in the midst of the rain, in the midst of my desire just to keep the, the wheels on the road, I missed a crucial fork in the interstate. There's just one place in that trip, I've taken the trip 100 times, where you're supposed to go right. And instead, I went left. And I was too asleep to even notice that I'd done it. It was one of those moments where it took my wife like waking up and all of a sudden, even though I was awake, she was alerting me to the fact that I actually wasn't awake, like that I was, I was behind the wheel and, and I was just coasting. And I was thinking of that this week because of, have you ever noticed how easy it is to have these moments in life where you're awake, but you're not awake? Where you're alive, but you're, you're not alive. Like, you know, you spend all of your energy, you spend all of your time. It's just, it's just another day. It's just another job. It's just another conversation. It's just another meal. We're just living for the weekends. We're just trying to get there. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to be a person who's awake, but not actually awake? And I think in some ways, this is like the, the, the grand challenge in an overstimulated, overly consumed, and undercommitted culture like ours. It's so easy to, to find ourselves in the flow of traffic amidst the rain with the music blaring and the singular goal for our life is just keep the tires on the road. But we never slow down long enough to ask if the tires are on the right road. And without meaning to, we just keep going in the wrong direction. I think my fear is sometimes as followers of Jesus, if we don't mean to, we end up giving our first place energy to second place pursuits. And we end up getting really good at the things that ultimately are not of utmost importance. And it takes these times in life where someone sits up and they say, hey, do you know where you're going? <laughs> like, like, when's the last time you, you looked at the map? You're following somebody else's blueprint for your life. Think about a, a moment a few months ago where I'm watching one of my friend's kids. They're playing basketball. And I don't know if you've ever been to a little kid's basketball game, but it shouldn't even be called basketball. It's, it's more just like a pack of humans running together and slapping at the basketball and no one's scoring. But there's this one triumphant moment in this little kid's basketball game where uh, they're running and this one little kid, just like Steph Curry, just gets the ball in the midst of traffic, throws some bows, just hits a beautiful J. It wasn't really that great, but he, he shoots a shot and he makes it and the stands just erupt. It's like, we saw a goal. And then everyone realizes almost simultaneously he shot and scored on the wrong goal. <laughs> and yet no one cared. It's like, he just made a goal. And I go, man, isn't that the case of life at times? Is that even meaning to? Wrong direction. 
We get good at shooting the goals and we never stop to ask, is this even the goal that I'm supposed to be aiming at? Like, what if you get really good at succeeding at something that's not worth you succeeding at? You see, I believe God, I believe God has made you for something. Unless the spirit of God keeps waking us up, it's easy to find ourselves behind the wheel and have no idea where it is that we're going. So this is what I want us to talk about this morning. Like, what is it that God has put you on earth for? We're gonna do this by looking at Ephesians chapter two. And if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you can sum up the first nine verses like this. Paul says, first and foremost, in verses one through five, you've been saved from something. That in Jesus... You've been saved from death. You've been saved from sin. You've been saved from your own spiritual sleepwalking. You've been saved in Jesus from something. And then he gets into verses six and seven that that Cody taught us last week. He says, and you've been saved to someone, not just saved from something. You've been saved to someone. You've, You've been saved into this position of favor and grace and kindness with God. You've been seated in heavenly realms. You've been saved from, and you've been saved to. And this morning, we're gonna look at one verse where he's gonna remind us, and you've been saved for. That the grand purpose of the human life is not just to keep the wheels on the road. It's to make sure the wheels are on the road that God has set out before us that God has marked it out. And this is the way that he begins to speak. Look at Ephesians 2, we're gonna start in verse eight. He says, for it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I'm gonna read that verse one more time. This is where we're gonna dig in this morning. He says, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do together. And I want you to notice just kind of three profound declarations that the Apostle Paul is gonna make about the human experience in this one verse. He's gonna make three huge declarations and we're gonna spend all of our time and energy just dealing with the third one. But I want you to notice all three declarations. And the first one is this. He says, you're God's handiwork. And what he means by that is Paul says, you are God's crowning achievement in creation. In the original language, the the word was literally, you are God's poema, you are God's masterpiece, you are the most brilliant thing that God has ever made. And I love this because in Ephesians 2, Paul is not simply talking about the creation of humanity here. So remember back in Genesis 1, God creates Adam and Eve and he goes, wow, this is very good, this is the best thing I've made. But in Ephesians 2, Paul is not just talking about creation, he's talking about recreation, the redemption of human beings. He's saying God's finest work, God's masterpiece is that God could take a guy like Cody or a guy like Dave and he could take someone in all of our brokenness when our wheels were on the wrong trajectory and he could redeem a life that others would have said is wasted. That's the beauty. That God's finest work is that he can take what seems like a wasted life and turn it in to a masterpiece. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful declaration that the redeemed person is God's finest hour. The second declaration that he's gonna make in verse 10 is not just about you being a masterpiece. He's gonna say you are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. I love that, literally. He's gonna say not only are you God's masterpiece, but you are someone that has been put together by divine design. Like, have you thought about that before? Like, there's a lot of things in your life that are accidental, but your existence is not one of them. There's a lot of things about your life that weren't planned, but you being here today is not one of them. 
It doesn't matter if your parents plan for you or if you are the result of a few too many margaritas and, and some bad choices. It doesn't matter if this was thought out or accidental that you were dreamt up in the heart of God. I mean, think about that. That everything about you dreamt up in the heart of God. And I love this picture. He says, your redemption is God's finest hour and your existence is a product of his divine design. But it's this third declaration that I want us to really hone in on together this morning. And it's this idea that you have been created for a purpose. He says, for you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, listen to this, to do what? To do good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do. Or if you use one of our Bibles uh, here at the Ruby, it says literally to, to walk in the ways that God has prepared for you to walk in. That God didn't just save you from something and he didn't just save you to someone, but God has saved you for a purpose, that God has a grand purpose for your life. And what I want us to wrestle with this morning is if God has a purpose for your life, then how in the world do you and I go about discovering it? Because what an amazing thing it is to be a person living into the destiny of purpose. See, in the Bible, when it talks about purpose, there's kind of two different levels that the Bible speaks of purpose. If you take notes, uh, I'd encourage you to write these down and go back and explore them. I'm not going to spend much time on it. But the first kind of level of purpose in the Bible is this idea of universal purpose, the purpose that all created people have in regards to their relationship with God. This is what Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 talks about is that our universal purpose, it doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom or a student or a mechanic or an artist or you're in between jobs, it doesn't matter if you're old or young, rich or poor, it doesn't matter the color of your skin, it doesn't matter your socioeconomic background, that there is a universal purpose for every human being that comes into a relationship with God. And the Bible is gonna say that that purpose for every human being, no matter your vocation, is to be a walking billboard for the kindness and the beauty and the glory of God, that your life exists to point beyond itself to the reality that God's good. So I remember when I was in college, every year they would have these student government elections. Did any of you ever run for student government when you were in college? I'm just curious. A few of you did? Okay. Um, they'd have these student government elections. And when I was in school, I was always looking for a way to make money because I was so poor, you know, and just trying to survive. And so I remember student elections would come around and I thought, man, I can help people. I don't want to run for office, but I'll help those that are running for office. I'll sell my body. And um, maybe a better way of saying that is um, I will become a human NASCAR and for the right amount of money, you can put any T-shirt on me. You can write on my face. I'll carry a sign to class. I'll make a scene in the cafeteria. You pay me the right amount, and I will make a scene to let other people know that you're worth voting for. And it was kind of a silly thing to do in college. It's what we tend to do in college, right? But what was, what was interesting about that, I was thinking about that this week, is in that season of my life, I was learning what it looked like to live for the sake of someone else's glory, like my life was to point to somebody else's significance, even though it was so silly and didn't seem like a big deal. And he said, hey, this is, this is the essence. This is the universal purpose of, of all created people that your life becomes this walking billboard for how great God is, how nice God is, how loving God is, how, how kind God is. But Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 is not just about your universal purpose. It's a window into your unique purpose. Because what the Bible is going to say is, although all of us have been created to bring glory to God, there is something uniquely about your life 
that will reveal the beauty and the significance of God unlike anybody else's life around you. That the story of God in Nashville, Tennessee would be woefully deplete if you don't participate. That what God longs to do needs your voice, like an orchestra or a symphony that requires all of the parts chiming in, that God is trying to write a song through his communal people and that you begin, you begin to learn what it is that God's made you to play. And go, what an amazing, what an amazing thing it is when a human being begins to believe that they are God's handiwork, to believe that they are divinely designed and to believe that God has a purpose. Now, we could spend all day just declaring Hey, you've got a purpose. You've got a purpose. You've got a purpose. Allie, you've got a purpose. You've got a purpose with your life. Like we could declare that, but, but declaration is not always helpful. Declaration that is not followed up with discovery will always leave you wanting, right? And so I want to spend the next 12 or 15 minutes going, okay, how do we move from declaration to discovery? Like how do we really begin to posture ourselves in such a way that we can begin to discover what it is that God has created us to be about right here and right now. And this conversation this morning is not about vocation. It's not about what you do for a job. It's not about you making much of yourself. Ephesians chapter two is not about you finding your personal dreams and life plans. Ephesians chapter two is not about your dreams. It's about God's dreams in you. And it's about you beginning to tap into what it is that God has put you here on earth for. So several weeks ago, there was a young, young woman in our church named Emily and Emily came to, to hang out up at the office. She wanted to share her heart with me. And we had this conversation that is the same conversation I have week after week after week with so many of you. And the conversation started like this. She said, Dave, uh, my, my job is great. My friendships are great. My roommates are great. Everything is kind of clicked in right now. She said, but there's this like yearning in me for more. Like I'm just convinced there's more. Have you ever been in that place before where you're hungry for the more, but you don't even know how to define it? She's like, I know that God has more for my life. She says, but I have no clue. Like, how do I begin looking for it? How do I begin discovering what it is that God has made me for? And so what I shared with her is what I want to share with you all today. And in your seat, you'll see one of these yellow pieces of paper like this. And I want to be very clear. Um, what I'm getting ready to share with you, this is not a formula. Like, I hate formulas. You know, formulas try to convince us that a plus B always equals C, right? This plus this always turns out this way. What I'm getting ready to share with you is not a formula, but it is a framework. And the difference between a framework and a formula is a formula says this is the way that life always works. And a framework says, no, this is the way that life often works. And there's a big difference between the word always and the, words, and the word often. And what I want to give you this morning is a framework that I have found very helpful as I've tried to help people discover, okay, what is it that God is inviting you to uniquely be a part of for the sake of pointing to his glory? Does that make sense? And what I found is there's typically just kind of three disciplines that if you would begin walking in these disciplines hand in hand together, that the Spirit of God, if you'll pay attention, he'll start waking you up uh, to, to, to what it is, how it is that he wants to use you to show those around you just how amazing Jesus is. And the first is the discipline of intimacy. You'll see that kind of first circle there in the paper. It's this discipline of intimacy with Jesus. And this is going to sound so overly simplistic, but that's my goal. I want, I want to give you a sermon that's so easy, you'll have to pay someone to help you misunderstand it, okay? So it, it's so easy, but you're going to have to decide if you do something with it. And the first is this discipline of intimacy with Jesus. I'm convinced 
that you will never discover your created purpose until you start walking closely with your creator. I'll say that again. You will never discover your created purpose until you start walking in consistent intimacy with your creator. I love that moment each year where Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, will stand up on the stage and he'll, he'll hold up the new phone. It's gonna cost you like $9,000 in a kidney and he'll say, here's all the new features that I want you to buy. And it's an amazing thing to listen to a creator talk about the creation. And one of the things that I've realized, especially in a place like Nashville, Tennessee, it's so easy to spend all of our time as people that are created beings, hanging out with other created beings, and never listen to what it is that the creator has to say. And to spend our time running between one another. Hey, here's what's going on. Here's what's Does that sound right to you? Yeah, that sounds right to me. One created being to another created being. But I love what Jesus says in John chapter 15. He says, he says if you will stick close to me, your life will be fruitful. That's a paraphrase. He says, you remain in me and the result of you walking in intimacy with me is a life that is more abundantly fruitful than you could ever imagine. But he goes on to say, apart from me, apart from friendship with me, there is no fruit. And this sounds so simple, but it's something that we so often ignore that when you and I begin walking in intimacy with King Jesus, in the word and in prayer and fellowship with the Holy Spirit, submitting our lives over and over and over in obedience. An amazing thing that begins to happen as you start walking with the creators, you begin to recognize why it is that you've been created. I wanna challenge you this week to literally just sit down and spend some significant time and go, okay, God, why on earth did you put me here? Why'd you put me in this family? Why'd you put me in this city? Have you ever stopped and thought like, why, why was I born in this country? Why was I born in this time in human history? God, if I'm not an accident, then why? It's in the place of intimacy, of disciplined intimacy. But the, the second circle I want you to look at real quick is, is the discipline of awareness, of growing in awareness. And so it starts in intimacy, and then it's often you'll find yourself moving into this place of awareness. And it's you growing in awareness kind of in three areas. And I wrote these down. You can go back and you can kind of flesh them out. But it's, a, it's an awareness of your passions. It's an awareness of the things that make you come to life. Have you ever noticed that there's certain things about you that make you uniquely you? They bring you to life and you don't even know how to explain it. Like gro growing up by the beach, my favorite thing to do is surf. I, I can't explain it. But when I'm in the water, I feel most human. It's like I just, I feel most alive when I'm in the water. And some of my friends, it's just not their story. That's mine, like... What, what brings you to life? What, what happens when you begin to grow in awareness of your passions? But the second thing is, what happens when you begin to grow in awareness of your pain? The things that have broken your heart in the past, the things that break your heart now. It's an amazing thing when a follower of Jesus begins to awaken to the things that break their hearts. I want to be very clear on this. I don't believe that God is in the business of doling out pain to his children, that's not his MO, but God is in the, in the business of redeeming pain. And there's a big difference between a God who inflicts and a God who redeems. Does that make sense? Very different. And that in the hands of God, there is no wasted pain. But a lot of times, because our places of pain are so deep, we don't even have the courage to go back and address them, and we miss out on the purposes that God is trying to bring to the surface in the midst of those places of pain. 
growing in awareness of our passions, the things that make us come alive, in the, in the areas of our pain, the things that break our hearts, and in the things that we possess. It's an amazing when you begin to grow in awareness of what it is that God's put in your hand, your, your, your resources, your time, your skill sets, your knowledge, your location, all the things that you possess. It's amazing when the followers of Jesus start going, okay, God, this is what you've given me. Who around me needs these things for the sake of them understanding how good and amazing you are? It's awareness. If you want to grow in your Ephesians 2.10 purpose, I believe it starts in intimacy. I believe it flourishes in awareness. And I believe it really begins to come to life kind of in that third sphere, and it's the place of participation. The truth is you cannot think your way into God's future for you. At some point, you have to step. At some point, you have to try. And this is what I love about Ephesians 2, verse 10. Look back at it. I want you to notice the whole verse is plural. He says, we are God's workmanship. We have been created in Christ Jesus. He has prepared great works in advance for us to do. In other words, there is something about your purpose that can only be discovered in the context of community. That something happens when we as a band of sisters and brothers link arms in the purposes of Jesus Christ. And we say, okay, hey, we've been put on earth for a purpose. Let's begin taking some faithful risks. Let's keep trying some things. Let's keep stepping into some things together. And there's something about participation that begins to unlock a purpose. Have you ever found yourself, like maybe you went on a mission trip and you had no idea that you cared about that group of people until you went on that trip and something unlocked in you as you're participating? Have you ever had a moment where you used one of your skill sets or your gifts or your passions and someone saw the glory of God through it and all of a sudden you were awakened? See, what I'm convinced is that God has created every single one of you. None of you are accidental. He has divine intention and purpose and beauty for your life. And as you begin to walk in intimacy and as you begin to grow in awareness and as you begin to step into participation, you begin to hear the Spirit's voice waking you up at the wheel saying, hey, this is the road that you've been driving on, but this is the road that you were meant for. Hey, this is the goal that you've been shooting on, but this is the goal that you were meant for. And it's the Spirit of God who begins to redirect us. So I go, what, what does this begin to look like? Like, how do you begin to recognize it? And I'll just tell you a couple of stories. I could tell you so many stories from the life of our church, but I'll, I'll just give you a few. I think about the story of Bobby Bandy. And so I don't know if any of you know Bobby. But Bobby is an amazing guy. And years ago, he, he began to really awaken in his heart to this passion that he had for the stewardship of the earth. He thought, man, I believe that God created everything and I want to show people how amazing he is through that. And so Bobby started this recycling company. Uh, you've probably seen their trucks around town. They're called Earth Savers. And the work of Bobby's hands is really amazing. But what I love is Bobby, he understands that it's not just about what he's doing with his hands. He realizes God's given him a much bigger purpose than that. And so this company that he started to point to the glory of God in creation, he now hires the guys and gals that nobody else would hire. And he trains them and disciples them. And he brings them up in the ways of Jesus. And don't you dare tell Bobby Bandy that his job as a recycling man is just a job. For Bobby, it's a calling. It's a ministry. It's what he's put on earth to do, to make much of God in the context of this place that really speaks to the passion of his heart. Or think about Amy Etheridge. Some of you may know Amy. She's a, a young mom. She and her husband, Aaron, have three kids. Their oldest kid is homeschooled by Amy. And a few weeks ago in their neighborhood, they discovered that there was a 55-year-old man living just a few doors down that only could read at a third grade level. And it just broke Amy's heart. She thought, how could we have somebody in our neighborhood who can only read at a third grade level? And then it dawned on her. She said, every day I'm teaching our son Elijah how to read. 
So she went back down to his house and she said, hey, do you, do you wanna come over every morning at 10 o'clock? I'm, I'm teaching my son how to read. I'd love to teach you how to read too. And all of a sudden there's this, this grand moment where this knowledge that she possesses is intersecting with the need of one of her neighbors and it's pointing to the glory and the purposes of God in her neighborhood. And Amy's going, okay, maybe our home doesn't just exist to, to retreat to at the end of the day. And maybe our home doesn't just exist to give us shelter. Maybe our home is gonna become a beacon of God's glory in the neighborhood and maybe no one will ever know it. But she believes that she's put here on purpose. And it's an amazing thing when a Christian awakens behind the wheel of life to the purpose and God begins to put our wheels on the path that he had set out for us. Or I think about a young girl in our church, six years old, her name's Madison Jabbar. I don't know if you know her or not. But Madison has been diagnosed a couple of years ago with currently it's an incurable disease. Um, she's been diagnosed with juvenile arthritis. And most people don't even know what that is. I didn't know what it was, so she's diagnosed with it. But literally, uh, she spends basically every moment of every day in constant agony and pain, just uh, inflammation in ways that are tough to imagine in a little girl's body. And she, she began thinking, okay, what do I do with this pain? And as a five-year-old, I kid you not, as a five-year-old, she started asking her mom, mom, how can we use my story to encourage other people? And so she starts raising awareness for juvenile arthritis because she realizes it kind of stinks to have a disease that doesn't get a lot of press. It doesn't get the same press that cancer does or the same press that ALS does. But she went, here, I have this disease that affects all sorts of people my age. What do I do about it? And so she starts raising awareness and she starts raising money. Last week, the kids over at the cannery, they did a bake sale for her and they raised $4,000. The kids did it out in the lobby of church. It's just this amazing picture of the church. And she's going, how do I use my pain to point to God's purposes in the midst of somebody else's life? I go, were you thinking like that when you were five? I wasn't like, I go, what an amazing thing when the spirit of God awakens someone one last story. I think about my, my neighbor, Chris. Uh, Chris used to play professional soccer. He's part of our church. He's an amazing guy. And uh, Chris loved soccer and uh, was passionate about the game. The only thing that Chris is more passionate about than the game of soccer is the name and the glory of Jesus. And so when he was in his early 20s, he learned that there, was, uh, uh, there, were, there were places that he could get into with a soccer ball that he couldn't get into with a Bible. He started looking at these countries that had been closed off to the gospel, countries that had been closed off to Jesus. And so he and his team started saying, hey, what if we went over to these places and did coaching clinics on soccer because everyone around the world loves soccer, even if they don't yet love Jesus. So they'd show up with the soccer ball and they'd begin playing soccer. And inevitably, every time they'd be in some place playing soccer, someone would go, okay, why are you here? And it was the opportunity for his life to become a billboard for the one that had sent him. And he'd go, hey, do you know who the biggest soccer fan in the world is? A guy named Jesus. <laughs> and he loves soccer so much, he sent me here to tell you about him. And the way that the glory and the purposes of God were awakened in my brother. He now lives in Nashville, he works at a university, and every Tuesday afternoon, Chris takes that soccer ball and he goes over to this apartment complex just a few blocks down from where we live. It's a, an apartment complex that is filled with refugees, most of whom don't even speak English yet. And he shows up with a soccer ball and he says, hey, who wants to play? And they come out and he's teaching them the ways of Jesus literally every day sitting down with Google Translate on the phone and they're having conversations about Jesus, the Messiah, the one that's passionate about soccer. <laughs> you realize that? Not an accident, none of you are accidental that God has made you for a purpose.
And I'm convinced that what the world needs more than anything right now is not more people attending church and not just more people holding on to a set of beliefs and ideals, although both of those things are good. What the world needs more than anything is followers of Jesus who are fully awake to the plans and the paths and the purposes that God has set before you. Because when you're living fully awake, the people that are in the car with you will always benefit. There are people in your life right now that need to see the beauty of God as uniquely displayed in you. And so what I've been praying all week is that God would use this time today to not just simply download, oh, okay, this is my passion, this is my purpose in life now, but the, the, the Spirit of God would give you a framework to sit down and to begin thinking about this. And so for those of you that are not Christians, uh, I just wanna speak this so clearly to you. If you're not a Christian, um, God loves you. He made you. It's not an accident that you're here today. And even if you don't believe any of this stuff, you are not here accidentally. And if you are remotely intrigued by the idea of a divinely appointed purpose, if you're at all intrigued by the idea that, that God has created you with intentionality and you're interested in knowing him, I'd love to talk with you today. No pressure. We're not gonna like force you into anything. I would love to just sit down and heart to heart talk about what on earth it is that you're here for and how you step into it. Those of you that are Christians, uh, here's the deal. I can stand up here and I can talk to you about your purpose and you discovering it, but that at the end of the day, the only way the only way you experience it is if you begin to make space in your life for these things. If you begin to make space for intimacy, if you begin to make space for awareness, if you begin to make space for participation, it's only there that you begin to experience the reality of what it is that God has made you for. And this isn't something that you just hear a sermon and then you leave here and it's like, suddenly I'm living on purpose. You gotta make some choices. You're gonna have to cut some things out probably of life. You're gonna have to make some hard decisions. You're gonna have to make some room in order for God to move, but you just get one life to live and I wanna encourage you, don't waste it. I'll end with this. My, one of my favorite quotes is from a guy named Mark Twain. You've probably never heard of him before. And I, I love this quote from Mark Twain. He says, the two greatest days in the human experience is the day that a person's born and then the day that they discover why they were born. The two greatest days in the human experience is the day they're born and the day they discover why. My prayer for you in this next season is that as you begin to walk in intimacy, as you begin to grow in awareness, as you begin to take the risk of participation, that you'll begin to discover why it is that God put you on earth. And when that happens, everything changes. Let's stand, I'll pray over you, and we'll take communion together. We'll pray and we'll worship. Father, I love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for this space. It is in the name of Jesus and it is for the glory of Jesus that we ask you, Holy Spirit, to awaken us behind the wheel. Awaken us to what it is that you've made us for. In the name of Christ, I pray, amen.